Hey, everybody. Welcome to Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and I'm so happy you're here with us. If you're just joining for the first time, I am a special needs mom, a special needs attorney, and a best-selling author. So please grab your coffee, and if you're like me, you might be listening in your car. I spent a lot of time in the car in my day. And please join us for some important discussions to help you thrive in this complex special needs world. Each week, we're going to chat with parents and experts, and sometimes parents who are experts, to offer compassionate advice for all stages of your life. These are the conversations you would have with your best friend if your best friend was an expert like me. Let's go. Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. Oh, it's one of my favorite weeks of the year, and it is Mitochondrial Disease Awareness Week. So from Sunday, September 19th through Friday this week, which is September, Saturday, September 25th, actually Saturday, sorry, um, we celebrate and bring awareness to mitochondrial disease. So I don't know if celebrates the right word, but bring awareness to mitochondrial disease. And, um, we sort of celebrate our journey and we want to make sure that we are encouraging friends and families to share their journeys, um, donate and, to um, just continue the conversation. So, you know, one of the things that I strive to do with this podcast that I've been talking about for the last two years on this podcast is that sharing our stories is so important. It's one of the most important things that we can do. So, on Sunday, it was our kickoff awareness week. Um, set up your Facebook or your Instagram, either fundraiser page or just encourage donation, encourage, you know, sharing. Then on Monday, it was share your story. Who do you wear green for? So I know that I talked about that on Monday. Um, so I have this iconic green dress that I've been photographed in for most of my business photographs. And um, I love my green dress and I wear my green dress for Elizabeth. So if you ever see me in my pictures with my green dress on, you will know that that is my green dress for Elizabeth. It's my favorite dress. God forbid I ever gain too much weight and cannot wear that green dress. I am going to be just beside myself about that green dress. So um, wear green and share your story. Um, and then make sure that you use all the hashtags green for Mito, Mito Action, Mito Awareness Week, and World Mito Disease Week. Um, on Tuesday, join the Mito Action Mobile community and... Um, and definitely go to um, mitoaction.org so that you can see everything that's going on. Now, today, on the day that this podcast launches, it's a very important day. It is light a light for Mito. So um, that is the day that we uh, send photos and memory wishes out to the world to remember all our loved ones that we have lost to mitochondrial disease. Oh, this is for our angels that we miss uh, so dearly. So we light a light to remember. Um, and of course, I'm remembering Elizabeth today. And it is so fitting that I launched this podcast out into the world today because it is the um, podcast where I interview my friend, Maria Hopgarten, who has just launched her book, Letters to Jacob, Grieving the Loss of a Child. So Maria lost her son, Jacob, um, shortly after I lost my Elizabeth. And I had been following Maria's blog. Uh, Maria lives out in Colorado 
And I had only met Maria once, but I had been following her blog. She and her friend had started a group, uh, mitochondrial disease support group. And I'd gone out there to do a talk for Mito Action and their miracles for Mito parent group was phenomenal, is phenomenal, is still going strong. They do so much for families out there in Colorado. And um, their group wanted to have me come out. And I joined up with a local attorney out there and we did a great presentation and brought families together to talk about some important long-term planning goals and connect everybody with, you know, just kind of wherever they were at with their long-term plans. So that was so fun. It was great to meet them. And it was so nice to get to know Maria. And I'd been following her blogs and her journey. And then, you know, she, um, I, she lost Jacob and following her grief journey after my grief journey, I just totally felt like we were on the same path. And it's been just this great friendship, even though we're not in the same town, we're not in the same state. It's just been this great friendship ever since. And I have completely felt supported by her. And I, you know, talked to Maria about the the idea that she had of turning her blogs into a book i thought it was fantastic and she did it i'm so excited and so proud of her and this is a fantastic book it's um it's got everything that you would want in a book it's touching it's heartfelt and it also gives you what you need it's it's not self-help in that way but it is supportive and it brings you right into Maria's and Jacob's and their family's life without being preachy about what you need to do in your own life but it does offer a path and some support and so even if you are not on this journey yourself you will find something in there and you will find it for your own family and for your own life and you will find it for someone you love. So I highly recommend this book and I am excited to be able to present this book to you today, especially on Light a Light for Mito Day. So letters to Jacob grieving the loss of a child, my friend Maria Hopgarten. I am really excited to be able to present this podcast interview to you on this day. And here we go. Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. So today I am super lucky to have one of my favorite people of all time with me. It's Maria Hopgarden, and she is one of my favorite Mito moms. So Maria is mom to Jacob, and she Um, And I had a podcast episode very early on. She was one of my very early interviews before I really knew what I was doing. If I even do now on this podcast, she gave me a chance to interview her. Um, Maria and I know each other through Mito Action, which is a national network. And Maria, thank you so much for coming back on the show. I'm so excited to talk to you again today. Thank you, Annette. I am equally excited to be here. So the last time you were on the show, we talked a little bit about my book, which had come out, you know, maybe the year before. And now we're here to talk about your book. So um, that's what I'm really excited to talk to you about today. Um, Can you just refresh everybody a little bit about, for those who haven't had a chance to um, listen to your early episode, but um, if you guys can go back to Maria's episode. That would be great. But for those who haven't had a chance to listen to that early episode, can you just tell everybody a little bit about your family? Yes, of course. So as Annette said, I am Maria Hopfgarten. And uh, I 
was the lucky mom of uh, my son, Jacob, uh, who lived with mitochondrial disease for 10 years. So I was very involved during his life in the special needs community. And one of the things that I wasn't completely sure about is what would happen when Jacob passed. Would I stay involved with the special needs community and the mitochondrial community? And it's actually something that I also sort of struggled with in the book a little bit is that I did continue to stay involved. Um, sometimes I feel I'm more connected to parents with special needs because they sort of understand um, what our family went through with Jacob, uh, who had many, many medical needs uh, throughout his 10 years of life. Uh, I'm also married uh, to another Swede. Uh, so we both moved from Sweden to the US. And I also have a lovely daughter who is almost 19. Oh. And uh, she has been on her own journey in a way by losing her brother yeah. and uh, is now in uh, on a path to become a PA. So I'm sure her brother had a say in that. Yeah. And in my earlier podcast, I talked quite a bit about um, balancing a special needs child with a sibling. Um, and that it can definitely be a struggle. But um, I would say, looking at my daughter now, I think she actually uh, has done quite well. And actually, if anything, learned a lot of life lessons um, in a positive way through her brother, Jacob. And then we have a rescue dog too. So we also have a a Chih Tzu, Max, who is sort of the boss of the house these days. (laughs) Get us on walks a couple of times a day. So that's our little family. Yeah. Does, does the dog miss your daughter? He does actually. We can notice that uh, since she went back to college last week. So yeah, yeah, he he is a little sad that she's gone, to be honest. Yeah. Our dog also misses Caroline, who is also on a journey to become a PA. It's amazing and scary how much we share. (laughs) Those siblings who are, um, you know, kind of thrown into this life, uh, they tend to go into those helping professions. They really do. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how many go into nursing or medicine or yeah. uh, therapy or mm-hmm. uh, social work or something like that. So, yeah, it's very true. Or some kind of first responder or something. So it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. So, um, Maria, you and I met um, so many years ago. I, mm-hmm. I, I never want to say how many because it makes me feel old. <laughs> But, um, but we met when I, well, first of all, sort of more or less online, but then I went to Colorado and, Mm -hmm. um, we, we did an event together. Yes. I'd been following your blog for a long, long time and your blog really helped me. I said this in the first podcast, um, there was so much realness there there was um you started out by writing letters to Jacob yes and can you talk about that a little bit of course of course and you know I have to thank you Annette for pushing me also in the direction of writing this book because I remember I had this idea what about if I would turn part of my blog into a book And where do I start? And you, Annette, was one of the people who actually talked me through how you actually got to publish your book. And now we are here, I would say two years later, and um, I basically kept this blog. First, it was really just to keep family and friends aware of how was Jacob doing And I did that because we have family in Sweden and then lots of friends in the US. And it was hard to call everybody as soon as he was hospitalized. So I basically started a Karen Bridge site. That was the beginning. I was, yeah. And then I realized that there were many people who loved just following Jacob and our life. 
And so then I actually started to blog and it was very therapeutic for me as well, because sometimes we had major decisions to make around Jacob's health or his life. And sometimes by writing about it, I got a perspective. And um, when Jacob passed five years ago, I didn't know if I would continue writing or not, but I found myself sometimes at quite a loss on what to do after he passed. And writing became a tool to sort of process whatever was going on. And I think I couldn't let Jacob fully go. So the blog turned into me writing to him. And it wasn't really intentional. It just happened. So suddenly the blog turned from me telling what had happened to me saying, hi, Jacob, this was my day. And um, I did that for about two years quite uh, regularly. And then I could notice that the blog post became not as frequent. And uh, when I met with my editor, you know, I had given her the whole blog. And she said, you need to really decide what you're going to focus in on as part of your book. And she actually recommended to take that part right after Jacob passed and really focus on the letters that I wrote to Jacob. And now when I edited the letters for the book, I realized how many details you forget over time. So I'm so happy that I wrote it when I did, because I think that's what makes it, you know, quite authentic of, of the grief. And it's not like grief goes away, but grief five years later looks a little bit different than the week after you lose your child. So I was quite happy to have that as the base And then I basically realized, though, that the blog was very chronological. So there were maybe three blog posts about Christmas or something. So then I, as I did the book, I had to restructure um, that chronological order to make it more into different topics. So that's what happened. And uh, yeah, I did publish it about a month ago. And uh, yeah, it feels good to, to finally have it out. Oh, I could not agree more. <laughs> I'm so happy that it's here. I read the whole thing. Of course, I read most of your blog posts at one point or yeah. another. So it all resonated with me anyway. And um, it was like a familiar blanket just mm-hmm. to kind of wrap myself in. I read a lot of your blog posts. Um, Jacob passed after my Elizabeth. So I read a lot of your blog posts um, after Jacob passed and they brought up a lot of feelings about Elizabeth passing, but they were comforting because as I'm sure so many people in our position and on our journey are going to feel the same way because it was good to not be alone on that journey. Your feelings were not exactly the same as my Mm -hmm. feelings because it, it just felt so you know, so real and so normalized and just, um, sometimes I feel like an alien, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and a good way of putting it. Yeah. It just felt good to have another alien on the planet with me. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, I know that's how I felt when I, when I read your blog post time around on your actual blog. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that you did in your book that I thought was just brilliant and wonderful and beautiful was that you added some some tips I don't know if you want to call them tips Mm -hmm. but you added some helpful information in construction at the end of the letters to Jacob and you call them you know coping with grief Mm -hmm. and so after each piece you have some some steps or some information. Mm-hmm. So what gave you the idea to do that? Because that's just- Yes. <laughs> I've gotten a lot of positive feedback about that. And I have to say that it was actually my editor that came up with that idea. She felt like each chapter had to have some sort of closure. And uh, so she actually was the one who came up with that idea. And I thought, let's try it. 
So I try to really link the tips or, you know, practical advice to what the letter was about. And I, of course, focused on, you know, some practical tips if you are a parent, but I also try to not limit it to that. I also try to think, you know, it could be any loved one you have lost and, you know, what would you do in that situation from my perspective? And I also have a few tips if you have somebody around you who are experiencing loss and grief, how can you be that friend who pulls up, you know, her chair and holds your hand and just listen? So I try to put that in too, because I think sometimes it's very hard if you see somebody uh, struggling with grief, how do you help them? And, uh, you know, I just talked to somebody else today and she said, oh, I actually thought that you would be uncomfortable talking about your son, Jacob. And now by reading your book, I know you're actually always think about him and you're always willing to talk about him. And I thought, yeah, there we go. It's it's very easy to think that talking about grief will make the person who has suffered loss to be very sad, but that's not really how it works. You know, We still remember our kids every day. Yes. There's, yeah, there's, their memories are still here. They're still with us. It would be like Mm -hmm. as if somebody, somebody was, had moved to another country. Would we stop talking about Mm -hmm. them? No, Mm -hmm. it's still part of our life. So I, I love this, um, this section and, or this set of tips about Sarah, your daughter. Mm -hmm. And, um, you, you have a, a post about, your sister misses you. It hurts her. It's hard to hurt while growing up, trying to fit in and finding yourself. I keep talking about you all the time. So she knows all her feelings are true and valid and perfectly normal. I try to put words to her feelings when she can't. When she's sad, she confides in her dog, Max. His personality reminds us of you. He even has his share of medical issues that has kept us on our toes, including a possible diagnosis of pancreatitis. After our last vet visit, someone asked if I am a doctor, and I had to admit that all my medical experience comes from you. You taught me all the ins and outs of pancreatitis, lipase, and stomach pain. (laughs) I'm proud of your sister. I'm proud of her staying the course in school with her friends and with her volleyball and with her teenage life. Not an easy task, but she's doing it. And then it goes on a little bit. And then in your coping section, you say, this is a hard one, but recognize that each family member will experience grief differently and not at the same time. I wanted to put everyone in our family in therapy, but this only worked for me. I loved my therapist and how she allowed me space to talk about myself and my grief or anything else crossing my mind. It's hard to see your other children grieve. I could see how hard it was for Sarah to talk about her brother. I just continued telling her stories about him. I remember the silence after my mom died and how no one dared to utter her name. For us, it worked to continue making Jacob being part of our stories. You'll have to find what helps you grieve and what helps the rest of your family and understand that they might be different. So, um, and then you go on to say that you might feel helpless and trust your gut. And I just love that you're willing to talk about the hard stuff in Mm -hmm. here. And it's so critical that Mm -hmm. we are open about these tough conversations, these tough topics, because it's, it's hard enough for parents to grieve, but to yes. talk about watching our other children be in pain. Oh my God. Talk yeah. about the heart. It's very, very tough. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, we, we are also different, Sarah and I. I think for me, part of healing was to externalize my grief. I always put myself out there either through my writing or, you know, by talking about my grief, but that's not how Sarah worked. And, uh, you know, it took her a long time to even mention Jacob's name. I mean, it, it hurt too much. 
And so I was thinking back when I lost my mom or our family lost uh, our mom Mm -hmm. and I was 19 and my sister was 15 and nobody talked about her anymore. It was like everybody thought about her, but nobody mentioned her. And I thought that was quite terrible and you feel very alone. So I I didn't ask Sarah to respond, but I just kept talking about him or telling her stories. Or do you remember when Jacob did this? Or do you remember when we together did this? And, you know, I think that that at least made it always comfortable and that he was still part of our family, even if he wasn't physically there. But yeah, that with siblings, I think is hard because you're grieving yourself and then to even find space to also allow your children to grieve and right. possibly quite differently from you. And uh, right. it's it's not just one answer. I think, again, you have to go with your gut a little bit because right. you know your child and what would work best uh, because I'm sure it's not just one strategy, but I do think keep mentioning the name of the sibling who passed, at least it's it's an allowed conversation in, in the home. And parents, you know, they're on different paths as yes. well. And you're not always <laughs> yes. in the same place. Nope. <laughs> no, that happened to us as well. And, you know, and if you think about it, you know, the reason you're a couple is most likely because you are slightly different and you, you know, and uh, that happened for us too. I mean, for me, it was very important that we celebrated every, and we still do, every birthday of Jacob, every uh, anniversary when he passed. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes my husband felt like we went a little bit overboard and yes, yeah, I would say so because he is more okay. private than I am. And it's funny, I think now also because of COVID, it sort of has shifted. So some of those celebrations have become smaller with, you know, our closest friends or, you know, like Jacob's closest uh, friends and uh and I think that actually works for both of us. But uh, yeah, we were not always in sync either. And uh, I think it's important to realize that, to be, to be very honest. But there are some really good tips in here about how you might want to celebrate an anniversary. Yes. And it's not the same for everybody. So I really liked that chapter or that post as yep. well. Because it's hard for people to know what to do. Who should we invite people? Should we not invite people? Mm-hmm. What do we do? You know, um, is it a birthday? Is it an anniversary? You know, is you know, especially that first year Very when it awesome. comes up, you just don't know. Um, you know, is this a new tradition that we're starting? Know. You know, what's the mm-hmm. thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, do you? take a consensus is it you know I'm the mom so I decide <laughs> like you it's know it's hard. what I want to do <laughs> so um yeah it's it's really um it's really just you're you're on new ground you know mm-hmm. it's new territory for you and in your family it was a balloon release so that's talk about what we that. did yes and it's actually a little bit interesting how this started because we had Jacob's memorial service and then we had a celebration of life or his life. And there was a dad who came to his celebration of life who brought lots of balloons. And when we were cleaning up uh, in, actually it was Jacob's preschool where we had this uh, celebration, we didn't know what to do with all the balloons. And it was a beautiful June evening So we took the balloons out and sort of sent them up to the sky to Jacob. And it was really, in a way, like felt symbolic and uh, a good ending to the day. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of when it started. And Jacob's colors were always red and blue. So that's always what we do. We always have red and blue balloons Mm. And it's not the best for the environment. So I'm sure we will have some who 
disagree oh. with this, but no, uh, please, no hate mail. Yes, so we so we try also, of course, to limit how many we send up, but um, that has been very symbolic for us. Like it feels like we send them up to the sky to Jacob, and uh, that that has been working really well for us, and uh, it's something that Sarah always has participated in. It's kind of an easy thing. We we get a few balloons and we send them up to Jacob. Okay. So you always end with Jacob, I love you to the moon and back. Where does that come from? You know, it's a good one. It's a good question. I always told him that. So always at night, I always told him that I love you to the moon and back. And I always read that book to him. So that's sort of where it's coming from. And uh, and then even when he was alive, I sometimes just ended the blog, Jacob, I love you to the moon and back. Mm-hmm. And over the years, oh my God, I have so many things with I love you to the moon and back. <laughs> you know, Jacob's room was full of, you know, signs. And I think I have a coffee cup with that. And mm-hmm. so it became sort of always sort of the love message to Jacob. I love you to the moon and back. And so that was another thing uh, that was probably slightly not conformed on the blog, but that I always ended each letter with. And, uh, but that was always what I told him before he went to bed. Well, that's so sweet. So now that the book is out and it's so good. And I know that a lot of people are going to find comfort in it. Cause I mean, I did. And a lot of people read your blog and found comfort in it. I I would love to just talk to you a little bit about one of my favorite topics, which is, you know, how to live your life after with, you know, so your your child passes, your grief, it kind of molds you, it changes you, but there's this whole life after, after your child passes. And what do you do with that? So what do you do with the grief? Where does it go? Um, What what does life look like next? Mm -hmm. And so you wrote this book and that's awesome. And you continue to blog and you're, you're helping people through miracles for Mito. And that's great too. Um, and, you know, let's talk a little bit about mm. what, what it looks like after. Yeah. It's, I, I think in my yeah. after is like in capital letters, like after, yes. you know? Yes. Yes. It's, yeah, it's it's a big question. And I think um, one of the things uh, that I try to tell myself after Jacob passed is like, don't make any big decisions right away. Let's let's leave a lot of things maybe open because I was very, very also very involved with children's hospital. And I didn't know after he passed, how much did I still want to be involved there and not? Yes. And I had actually thought about it before he passed, you know, like several times, like, I wonder how this will look like when he's not here anymore, because he was sort of the fuel for me to be involved with Children's Hospital and you also mentioned Miracles for Mido that I started with my friend Heather Schichtal, uh, which is a support group or nonprofit for families living with mitochondrial disease in the Rocky Mountain region. And Jacob was three when we started that. So it was a really big part of most of his life. Wow. And how would that feel when he wouldn't come to the next event? And yes. how would it feel to fundraise for other families? And the interesting thing was that that was still important. And, um, you know, like I could have said goodbye to that community, but that was never really the case. I definitely still today... I sometimes feel the most comfortable to talk about Jacob with another Mito mom, you know, because, you know, she can relate completely to our journey. And uh, so I think that definitely was a process to go through, but I'm, I'm quite happy five years later 
that um, it's still part of my life. But I think after, like you said, Annette, it's, it's a big after. Take your time to, to, to see what's the right thing for you. Because I would say that first year after, you're sort of just surviving. Like mm-hmm. getting out of bed, um, you know, grief can hit you any, any time. So don't be too hard on yourself in the beginning. And th- but then think about what is important to you. And I think that's actually how this book came to life is like, I wanted to sort of do something with the blog and really see how I could help other parents because I have, I don't know if I've told you this, Annette, but when Jacob was about three, he had a mitochondrial crash. And we were told at that time that he wouldn't survive the winter. So I was thinking, what do I do now? And I went to the library at Children's Hospital and I basically went to the grief section and I found lots of books on the grieving process. So the stages of grief. I also was told in many, many books that uh, the divorce statistics didn't look too good for parents. (laughs) who have lost a child, but I didn't see a lot of stories of parents, you know, just telling their story and how did that after look like? And I think that's also why I decided to focus the book on that year after to just be there for somebody who is just going through that and, you know, maybe take a chapter at a time because, you know, all feelings are fresh. Um, I think the other thing also, I don't know, Annette, if this happened to you, but with the years after a child passes, you can also start to get uh, stuck in the business of life. Uh, What I mean by that, maybe you, you know, like in my case, I went from part-time to full-time work And, you know, suddenly my daughter was in high school, sports and other activities. And when that business happens, I felt it was very, very important to still sort of allow time and place for grief because you can't escape grief, actually. So I I felt I had to do that intentionally as I got into more of a how do I say, regular life than living in and out of the hospital and sort of honor my child in that way and do that intentional. So was that perfect for me? No, not always. I, you know, I also sometimes even escaped in work because then I didn't have to have all those hard feelings. But I think that is another thing to allow space for grief, however that looks for you is very important as you um, go on. I totally identify with this, totally. Um, Although I think I walked a little differently. Mm -hmm. I totally identify with this. Uh, My younger daughter was 13 when Elizabeth passed. And it, um, you know, I, I felt like I was going through the motions, but I did also end up going back to work more full time and picking up the business of life a little bit more um, just routinely. I kind of feel like I was numb for a while and just sort of, you know, piling it on. Um, And then as year two and three started hitting me, I felt like I finally started unpacking a lot of feelings and a lot of stuff was coming out. And that's when um, I I started writing and, and a lot of things were really coming out. And that's when, you know, my book became a thing. So, um, you know, and it's, and it's definitely different for everybody. Yes. But uh, for sure. I agree with you because I remember looking for books too. And oh, those grief stages have to go. Somebody has to throw those yes. in. <laughs> yes, I agree with you. They 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 are so meaningless and not helpful at all. No. And um I think, you know, it's it's very different. It's just very different than that. 
a different kind of a journey. And we really need to honor the journey that people are on. Yeah, for sure. And and we need to honor how uncomfortable this makes people, especially yes. when you're talking about the loss of a child. Mm-hmm. It's very, very true. It's very true. So your um, Miracles for Mito, how are you guys doing in the middle of this pandemic? So, yeah, so this nonprofit um, that uh, my friend Heather and I started, um, oh my God, over 10 years ago, uh, it has survived uh, COVID. So that's very good news. Uh, We have been able to, you know, move things online um, as much as possible, because especially with the mitochondrial community, here we're talking about the most vulnerable patients. Uh, we really had to stop uh, doing anything in person. Um, but we definitely still, you know, do support meetings uh, actually uh, online every week. And uh, also one part of the program that is uh, very important for many families is that we support ubiquinol to them. So that has still been possible to ship to families. So I would say that, um, you know, we, we have survived that and uh, we're, we're very happy uh, that we have been able to do that by simply doing more things online and uh, then in person. And, uh, but that was definitely, you know, something we had to do all of us, but also specifically for that community. That's awesome. It's such a wonderful organization and so needed. I remember when Elizabeth was little and, you know, she was older than Jacob, but when Elizabeth was little, we didn't really have the internet in the way that we do today. And it was so hard to get information. And our children's hospital didn't really know much about mitochondrial disease. It was like not really a thing yet. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it was so hard, so hard to get information, so hard to learn about it. And we had to fly down to Atlanta to get tested. And so it was really lonely and scary. And now, to have an organization like yours, to have an, a national organization like Mito Action, it, it just means the world to families. Yeah, and I think with the pandemic in general, you know, who were able to adapt to go on, you know, online versus not, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how will the future look, to be honest, uh, when it comes to support. And I think here your podcast is also very important because you can listen to a podcast any time of the day and when it's you know convenient uh for whoever is the listener so i'm wondering if that i think that's more and more going to be the future anyway yeah we really have to keep trying to get information out to people wherever they can access it and that is going to be so important so as we're winding down um And we're going to have the book in the show notes so that you can buy it because we really want everybody to go out and buy Marita's book, Letters to Jacob. Um, It's so good. It's so good. I mean, as you can imagine, I cried buckets through the whole thing. But that's just me. I cry buckets anyway. Um, And it just reminded me so much of Elizabeth, you know. Yeah. So I I cried for you. I cried for Sarah. I cried for Jacob. I just, you know, it was like I was there with you at Christmas and in the hospital room and on Halloween. Like I just, yeah. mm-hmm. every, I just, I don't know. I, I just, it was vivid. Like I, mm-hmm. I just felt like I was there in the moment with you. Um, and I love your writing anyway, but I, uh, I would love to kind of leave this interview with just a couple of quick tips. I know we talked about that a little bit throughout, but if you could just leave the audience with just a quick tip or two, if you are grieving the loss of a child, or if you know someone who's grieving the loss of a child, whether it's a young child or an adult child, what would you say to that family member? 
Yeah, I would first of all actually maybe just pull up a chair and uh, you know take the person's hand and let the person cry or talk about his or her child. Like you know, those are the people I think all of us need in our life because I still had a huge need to talk about Jacob. Yes, actually. So, you know, I, I would say find those people in your life who were maybe really part of your child's life. Like some of my best friends were actually Jacob's nurses and speech yeah. therapists. Like they are today, you know, very much part of our family's life and they will always leave space to talk about your child. So yes. I, I would I would say that helped me tremendously to find friends and family who really allow room for both life, I mean, and loss and love, you know, and are willing and able to have those conversations. And then the other thing I would say is there is no schedule. This grief has to be your journey. And don't be too hard on yourself. Um, you know, do it what is good and right for you. And uh, But think about what is a good way to keep your child's memory alive. For me, that was writing. Uh, for you, it might be planting a tree in the garden and see that grow. I mean, it can be so many different things, but I, I really think that that is something that is quite important to somehow externalize your grief and, you know, figure out what, how would that look for you? And uh, so that would be my other thing that, you know, think about how that will look for you. And don't be hard on yourself. Just getting through another day is is a big milestone. And and then it's okay to create new traditions and keep old ones. And think about how you want to honor your child as you go on, you know. And yeah, we we do have a little family celebration on Jacob's birthday now, and mm-hmm. has been very healing for our family. But again might look different from family to family. And I'm also willing to listen if I can help in any, any way. Mm, um, always, great. always willing to have that conversation, to be honest. That's lovely. I agree. I, I guess if I were giving advice, I would be following along with exactly that. Um, the stories are so important. Last night, I was out at a little fundraiser benefit for a group called Smile Mass. And I ran into one of Elizabeth's old care providers at the Perkins School for the Blind. And you just never know when you're going to, you know, run into people. Now, my Elizabeth passed almost eight years ago. And so it has been, you know, we're talking about like a decade ago now that this person, she still remembered me. Mm -hmm. She still remembered Elizabeth. And we were, we sat and talked about Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. Do you know how happy that made me? I know, I know, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So somebody on this earth remembered my daughter, you know, and, and remembers stories about her happy things about her and I think you know maybe something that some listeners might not understand is that at least for me and I think for many people that I've spoken to many parents I've spoken to one of our deepest fears is that our children are going to fade into yes you know non-existence and Mm -hmm. people are just going to forget that they ever were here I agree. I mean, that I think is a true fear. And mm-hmm. I will also say, I I also had that. Am I going to be the only one remembering Jacob? Yes. And um, so I think it's a very natural feeling and thought. And I will say the first year after Jacob passed, 
oh my God, we had people checking in on us all the time. And you can sort of see, you know, after a year that fades a little. And so, you know, you, you, you do feel this uh, like, okay, uh, how is that changing? But then, you know, you will have those very deep conversations. And um, I have found that uh, both with, you know, friends or caregivers of Jacob, but also with other parents who also have experienced a loss of a child, yes. that that is also a very powerful conversation when, when you know how it is on the other side. The club we never wanted to join. Oh my God, yes. The worst club in the world. Mm-hmm. So if you are somebody who is trying to support a grieving parent or a grieving family member or even a grieving caregiver, the best thing you can do is be that great listener or be that great storyteller who goes up and says, hey, do you remember when Elizabeth laughed so hard that milk came out of her mouth or came out of her nose or whatever? Um, you want to you know, tell those stories about Jacob. You want to tell those stories about Elizabeth and you want to keep those memories fresh. You you want yes. to, you want to listen, but you also want to you want to make sure that the family knows that that person's still in your heart, still in your mind, and is still present with you. And that is more than any memorial or foundation or any brick that you can lay or anything like that. So um, I agree. Okay, Maria, I told you our time was going to go by so fast. (laughs) Chat, 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 chat. Yes. Uh, I love talking with you. I'm so proud of you for writing this book. I'm so grateful that you put it out there because these are hard conversations. Yes. Such good conversations to have. Yes, yes. yes. Thank you, Annette, always for your support and for pushing me in this direction. I... I'm very happy. Letters to Jacob, Maria Hopkins, and it is—it's really good. It's really—I mean, it's better than good. It's great. Um, It's not an easy book to read, but you know what? It's so joyous in so many parts too. Though there's so much love, it's so great. It's so great, and you have such an amazing family. And you know, it's so it's really awesome to know you. So. Thank you, Annette. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on the show. Yes, thank you. Bye, my dear. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I just wanted to take a second to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these podcasts. I'm having a blast doing them, and I hope that you're finding the content to be what you were really hoping. If you are, please take a second to leave a rating and a review. It's so helpful in getting this content out to people who really need to hear it. Thank you so much.